Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Heart Home Faith. I'm your host, Olivia, and as always, I am absolutely thrilled that you're joining us. Today I want to share with you my story. It's a testimony, but it's very much a part of who I am because these events in my life, they're the reason for why I believe what I believe. And I believe that God is good. I have been through a lot of hard, very difficult things. My faith has sustained me. God has sustained me. And I can't wait to share my journey with you. Not because your journey will look anything like my journey, but because when we hear about other people and we hear their stories, we can connect with them and we can see that God works in their lives and recognize that God is at work in ours. So, here we go. I need to give you a little bit of background so that you understand my story. And it's this. I was born and raised as a Catholic child. I was baptized as an infant, and I attended Catholic schools from kindergarten through 12th grade. The church was always a part of my life, but by the time I went to college, I thought I knew better than everybody else, and also the error of youth meant that I thought I knew better than God, and I fell away. Well, God is so good because Over the course of years, he brought me back to him. One of the things that happened during my college career was that I met my husband. We met very early on in our time at Michigan State when we were just freshmen. It was our first semester, and we happened to have a sociology class together. I don't know if you know anything about people who are in accountancy majors and education majors, but there's really only one area of courses that overlap, and that happened to be, in our case, the sociology class. I'm so glad I met him there. Well, we started dating, and we got engaged, and we ended up getting married two weeks after we graduated from college, which is pretty stressful, and I still can't believe we did that, but we did. So we graduated and got married and then started our lives together. And of course, we had no idea what was in store. As I mentioned, I was an education major and my program required me to do an entire year of student teaching. But that year of student teaching wasn't simultaneous with my senior year of courses It was actually considered part of a master's degree program. My husband also was required to get a master's degree in accounting, and so we were married, and we were also very poor grad students. Because my husband is an accountant, he's very frugal, and weirdly, he happened to be the only 22-year-old guy I've ever met who had a lot of savings. I had no money. He had some money saved, and so our first year of marriage was marked with no money and very little income. But God was really good because he gave Patrick this opportunity to be a teacher's assistant, which allowed him to at least have a stipend that was more than an hourly job. So that was very helpful. Well, things were going along just fine. And we were doing okay, and we got married in May of 2012. So in October of 2012, we had been married for about six months, and we realized that I was pregnant. As poor grad students, I can only begin to tell you that that was not the plan. And we went to the on-campus healthcare center, which was a horrible mistake, to go to that place. And we wanted this pregnancy confirmed. 
because I was very new at the whole idea of everything. I was 22 years old and I thought to myself, this must be a false positive because apparently those are real things. They're not. And I went there and the nurse came back and said, congratulations, you're pregnant. And the look on my face was one of just shock and horror and all these emotions because I'm very young and this was not our plan. We had had our plan all set. We had actually just put into motion that we were going to move to Austin, Texas, which I've mentioned before. But we decided that we were going to move to Austin, Texas. This was at a time when getting a teaching job in Texas was a lot easier than it was to get a teaching job in Michigan. My husband had just put in a request to start his career with the office in Austin, and they'd accepted it. So this had all literally just happened within the past several months, like two, two months before we started making these plans and deciding that was what we're going to do. And then October shows up and we realize that I am pregnant. And that was a very overwhelming because we thought we were going to move and be in Texas for five or six years and then save our money, move back to Michigan and be around our family. We had this all planned out and I was going to be a stay-at-home mom because I wanted to teach for a few years and then have my family and stay home. I had this ridiculously detailed plan and then those positive pregnancy tests, yes, I'm saying tests because there was more than one, those threw the biggest wrench possible into our plans. Well, we were at the on-campus healthcare center and the nurse saw my look of confusion and horror and dread and what are we going to do now on my face? And she very, very nervously looked at me and said, is this pregnancy something you think you're going to go through with? And I just snapped at her, yes, of course I'm going to go through with this. This is my baby. But literally from the very first moment that I 100% for sure knew I was pregnant with my first child, I had to defend that I was going to have her. Now, the nurse was very nervous about asking that question, and I think she had to ask that question because of where we were. However, to her credit, she then said, oh good, she was relieved that I was not going to terminate my pregnancy. To her credit. But it just goes to show you the environment that I was in, and made me realize how accessible abortion is and how very, very easy it would have been for me to have said, this is not my plan. No, I'm so, so glad I didn't do that. I know that the convictions of being raised in the faith and the convictions I have of being pro-life, that those are things that I'm so grateful for because they are the reason that even though it was a mess as far as timing goes and plans, they're the reason I have my daughter, my oldest daughter. So I finished my year of student teaching and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And my husband finished his year of his graduate degree. And then in July of 2013, we had our baby girl. We had our Gabriella, and we named her Gabriella Grace. And she is just such a, such a grace-filled child, but she doesn't know it. It's pretty funny. She has definitely given me a lot of opportunities to practice grace. Well, because of our student situation, I was still on my mom's insurance because it was better than anything we could afford. Remember, we were grad students and had no money. And so I had called the insurance company and I had asked them where I could go since I was a student and I was not in the area of coverage, where I could go to receive prenatal care. 
they gave me the name of this place that was about 40 minutes away. And I said, well, that's kind of far. I'm a student. Where can I go? And they said, well, you could try this place. And I was like, okay, that's actually pretty close. I'll go there. So that's what I did. So I went my entire pregnancy going to the place they recommended. I went to the hospital affiliated with this doctor and I delivered my daughter there and it was all in all a very interesting experience because for the actual day of delivery, I had fully intended to have an epidural, but the epidural was not effective. And so I had ended up being induced, um, the epidural didn't work, and the anesthesiologist came in and was standing over me saying, I don't understand why it's not working, but I could feel the contractions, but I couldn't feel my legs. It was, it was probably, they said it went well, but I have now had more children and it could definitely have gone better. But from the moment they placed Gabrielle in my arms, we just loved her so much. And we'd loved her before. We'd fought for her before. We prayed for her before. We love her even before she was born. And we just were amazed that we were finally a family. Well, I ended up having postpartum depression. However, there's more of a story here about the insurance and how that all ties into it. We got home to our little tiny subterranean because we lived on the, the ground floor level of an apartment, which meant that our windows were at the same level as the parking lot we looked out at. And also there were train tracks that went right behind our apartment. It's very loud. But we got home and we tried to settle in. However, we were already moving because we knew we were moving to Austin a month later. So Getting home with our first baby meant that she was a newborn and I was really young and we lived in a place without a ton of sunlight because it was practically underground and we were moving and so everything was in boxes except for the stuff that we really needed. It was very overwhelming and I started to have the baby blues, except the baby blues weren't just the baby blues. They were much more. And now I can recognize that and I know that and I could get myself help now. But when you are that young and you're going through it and everybody just says, oh, it's just the baby blues. Expect to be kind of moody and weepy for a few weeks. No, no, not like that. So feeling overwhelmed by the general chaos of everything and also looking at Gabriella and being like, She's changing every single day. She's growing and changing so much and I'm missing it. I didn't want to sleep because I was afraid I was going to miss out on something, which is insane because she did not like to sleep. So I already wasn't getting much sleep. It was very difficult for me to transition into motherhood in these sorts of circumstances in this environment. Well, about a week after we have her home from the hospital, I get a phone call and it's from the hospital and they're saying that my insurance is not going to cover any of the hospital bills for my labor, delivery, oh, and also my prenatal care because I was out of network. Even though when I called, they told me I could go to that place. So that added a whole nother layer of chaos and stress to becoming a mother. Well, despite all of these things happening, when Gabriella was a month old, I got on a plane with my mom and I flew across the country to Austin, Texas. My husband and his dad had driven down in a moving van because they moved our things and towed our little tiny sedan behind it on one of those car trailers. They drove from Michigan to Texas. And I can't be more grateful because that was very hard. And I recognize that now. So they were already there. And when we came to the airport, I was just relieved to be there. But we didn't fly into Austin because it's very expensive. We flew into Houston. And then Pat came to come and get me 
and my mom and the baby. And so we then had to drive from Houston to Austin. And we spent the next two hours in the car with an alternatingly sleeping and screaming baby because that was just the sort of temperament that our particular infant, Gabriella, had. Well, when we got to our apartment, I was relieved to see that it looked like a resort. It was so good for me to be in that sunshine, so good for me to not be underground because we lived on the higher floor apartment building. And after my mom left, after about a week, we were ready to go to Mass. And so we went to the church where I met my first friend. And I shared that I, I met her in the middle of Mass at a diaper change in the ladies' bathroom. And I had been praying and praying for a friend. I, at that point in my life, wanted to raise my children Catholic. And my husband did too. In fact, while we were pregnant, Pat went through the process of converting to Catholicism. While we were pregnant with Gabriella, he went through RCIA. I was his sponsor, he was the candidate, and we both learned so much. But we weren't 100% invested in our faith. Namely, I just couldn't believe that the Eucharist was really Jesus. Pat actually didn't have a problem with believing that. But he also felt like he was a new baby Catholic and he wanted me to take the leads in our faith and I didn't really know how or want to. It was very stressful. But I knew, because I moved to Texas and was now a stay-at-home mom, I knew that I needed to make some friends. So I prayed. I asked God that he would please help me make friends. And meeting Sam in the bathroom was definitely an answer to my prayer. In that particular church paper, the bulletin, after we were leaving from that mass, I saw an advertisement for a women's only event, and I almost didn't go to it, but my husband told me I needed to. So this women's only event was called Oasis, and it was an evening of praise and worship with a testimony for women. And this was the thing that attracted me to it the most. It said in little tiny letters, right in italics under it, it said, nursing babies welcome. I said to myself, I have a nursing baby. I need to go to this. Maybe I'll meet friends. So I went. It was, it just happened to be at the church that we were attending, even though when they kind of got a home base started, they kind of moved it to a different church. I found out later that that was one of the first times they even hosted this event. So I went there and I happened to walk into the church and I'm holding my sweet little Gabriella and hoping she's going to sleep and not sure what to expect, but just like, hey, they said there's a social, they said there's going to be Italian sodas and chocolate. I just want to meet people who are Catholic and in the same sort of season of life as me. So I walked in and the first thing that I noticed was that there were women who were wearing veils. And I immediately thought to myself, maybe I should run. Don't they know Vatican II changed that? Like, you don't have to cover your head. What is going on here? Because that was where I was. Thankfully, my guardian angel, I think, made me realize that I'd driven 20 minutes with this baby and I was now there and I should not run away and be scared, even though I was very tempted to. So, I happened to walk up to this woman and I said, hi, are you here for the Oasis thing? And she said, oh, yes, I am. And she let me know her name and that she was involved in it. And I was so excited to meet somebody. Also, she was not wearing a veil at this time. But then we walked into the most beautiful chapel that I've ever seen. And she put a veil on her head. I thought to myself, well, what have I done? I don't have a veil on my head. Everyone's wearing skirts. I'm wearing pants. I'm doing everything all wrong but at least I have a baby, so I've got that covered. So we ended up going into this beautiful evening of praise and worship and adoration. And there was confession available. And I hadn't been to confession in a very long time. And there were a lot of things that I needed to confess, that I needed to accept as flaws, and that I needed to have removed from my heart. And so 
seeing these women go to confession and go there joyfully was not something I ever thought I would see. But it's what happened. So while we were in the midst of adoration, I realized that this was beautiful. And these women, they really, truly believed in the real presence of the Eucharist. And I wanted that. I remember kneeling there and there's this beautiful, beautiful painting of Jesus, the good shepherd above the sanctuary in this chapel. It is gorgeous. And I prayed so hard in front of that monstrance, rocking my daughter, Gabriella, who's just a two or three month old baby at this point, rocking her in my arms. I prayed so, so hard. And my prayer was so simple, but it was, I want a faith like that because I was looking around me and seeing these women who were so full of joy and love of the Lord. And it was so attractive. And I realized I want a faith like that because I didn't have it. I was there for the chocolate and meeting people, but they were there for him. And I wanted to be there for him too. It ended up being a wonderful evening because I can trace the turning point of my own faith life, my own deepening of faith to that specific prayer, that time in front of the monstrance, that time in front of Jesus in the Eucharist, I wanted to believe that Jesus was really present in the Eucharist and that it wasn't a symbol. I can't say that I made the best friends of my life at this event, but they offered this event every few months. I think it was quarterly. And I would go, and it was beautiful, because every time I was so inspired and encouraged and uplifted by these women, these women of joy and beauty, and I knew that I wanted to be like them. I had people who were young, who were a little older than me, but in my same stage and state of life, my same season, modeling for me the beauty and joy of our faith. And that is so, so attractive. As I was praying, I continued to pray at home. I found Relevant Radio and I started to pray the rosary. And I ended up doing a novena to Our Lady Undoer of Knots because I had a lot of things I needed to work through. Specifically, the insurance company was still saying that we owed them thirty to forty to fifty thousand dollars, and it got so bad that I could no longer go to my mailbox anymore. I was so afraid of getting the mail because every day came another bill, another bill we couldn't pay, and I was not in a good place mentally. I was considering the fact that we had life insurance on me and wondering, have I ruined my family because I misunderstood something with the insurance? This is the first very important thing that I realized that I needed some help. So I ended up fighting with the insurance company. And by fighting, I mean calling them and talking to representatives and trying to make them understand my case. Thankfully, they record things. But this is when I learned that whenever you talk to insurance representatives, you should have the name and the date and you should also record it. Because what they ended up doing was after I finally reached the point of there is no one else I can talk to, I had to write a letter telling them that I wanted them to go back and look at the records and explaining what happened with the insurance. And so finally, thank goodness they record those phone calls, Finally, they went back and they listened and they realized that I was not given proper information about where I could receive my prenatal and delivery and postpartum care from. And so they ended up covering 100% of the birth, prenatal care, delivery, postpartum. They covered it all. But it took five months 
four months. It took four months before they that was resolved. And those were some of the most stressful months of my life because I couldn't settle in. I felt like I did something wrong. I didn't, but I felt like I did. I felt like I ruined everything. It was so, so difficult. So I think definitely that the issue with the insurance, the financial instability, in addition to the move and all of that really contributed to my postpartum depression, which I went into. Now, I was praying to marry a doer of knots because I knew I needed help with several things. I knew I needed to feel more confident as a mother, but I also knew that I wanted to believe that Jesus was in the Eucharist. And so I did a novena for that specific intention. And what happened next wasn't like, it wasn't like it happened on the ninth day. It wasn't like that. But after I completed this novena, there was a day where every chore I had was done. That has never happened before and that has never happened since. So there's my first clue that it was just a day of great grace because Chili was in the crock pot for dinner and my laundry was folded and put away. Gabriella was napping. And so I decided I too would take a nap because that makes so much sense when you are very tired. And as soon as I laid down, my head hit the pillow and I was asleep. It was the most peaceful sleep I've ever had. And in my sleep, I had a dream. It was a dream of a dark room with a simple stone altar. And on that altar was the most beautiful monstrance I've ever seen. It was gold and there was no bejeweled ornamentation on it. It was just pure gold. And then in a way that defies all logic, in my dream, I saw beautiful blue shimmering fabric. And this beautiful blue shimmering fabric was coming down the sides of the monstrance and was over the top of the monstrance and even was in front of the monstrance without detracting from the monstrance in any way. I think that I was asleep and having this dream for 10 total minutes, but it was the most incredible dream I've ever had. Because when I woke up, I knew what I had seen. I just knew that I had seen Mary showing me that that is truly her son in the Eucharist. And that was not what I asked for. I didn't ask for a dream. I just asked her to help me believe that your son is in the Eucharist. I have never seen that monstrance in real life. I've looked. And the beautiful fabric, just I've never seen that shade of blue. I knew that Mary was showing me that she was answering my prayer. So when my husband came home from work that day, I said, Pat, I have to tell you about this. I told him about it. And then I said, I think that when we have another child, we need to name that child Maria after Mary. We knew that we wanted to expand our family and we really wanted to have more kids. I mean, I was feeling better. I was starting to get some help and I was starting to identify the fact that I hadn't felt like myself since Gabrielle was born, that I hadn't felt like I was in control of my moods, like I hadn't felt stable. And so when it when she was about 18 months old, we found out that I was expecting and it was so exciting. I took a pregnancy test and it was positive and I texted my husband and then a few moments later, I started to bleed. And that was very, very sad. It was very early um, because of natural family planning. We know typically right away when we're pregnant. And so 
I had known or thought I might be pregnant for several days, but the levels were so low that there was just the faintest inkling on the tests. However, we knew from when we were pregnant with Gabriella that you don't get a false positive with pregnancy tests. You get a false negative, but you don't get a false positive. And so that was really, really difficult. I ended up, though, through the grace of God, finding an incredible Catholic OBGYN in Austin who I think is a living saint. He was incredible. And when I went to the appointment, we did the ultrasound, there was nothing to see. And it became evident that I was miscarrying. And he said to me, I don't ever like to see anybody have a miscarriage. So let's talk about what we can do. Let's talk about charting. Let's talk about natural family planning. Let's talk about things we can do to help because finding out that you've miscarried is sad. And so, of course, I was crying in the office and and very, very disappointed and very sad. But that first baby we named Francis. And I, I asked little Francis to pray for us all the time. It was after that that I went to adoration and my mom came down because we told her that I had a miscarriage. She came down to help and to be supportive. And it was very, very good for me to have that freedom to go out and about a little bit by myself, to grieve and to mourn and to feel sad because Gabriella was at this point a challenging toddler with a lot of toddler behaviors. And I was exhausted and emotionally worn out. The next month after finding out about our miscarriage, we actually found out that I was pregnant again. And this was wonderful news. We were so excited. It felt like God was answering our prayer. And I was so, so happy to be pregnant. It was so exciting. I felt nauseous and sick. And then all of a sudden that nausea kind of stopped. Well, we went for my appointment and it showed on the ultrasound that for the past eight weeks that I thought I was pregnant, there was a baby, but the baby had stopped growing. There was no heartbeat. There was no growth. However, because we were still doing blood work, we discovered that my levels, my hormone my pregnancy hormone levels were rising. And that meant that maybe I still was pregnant. We had dates wrong. I mean, things could be all sorts of messed up to have the one miscarriage the month before. So we didn't know what was going on. And so my doctor offered, he said, do you want to take anything to speed along the process of the miscarriage? And I said, no, because I just felt like it just wasn't the right thing. Well, a few weeks later, I started doing these blood draws because having miscarriages back to back meant that there was something wrong. And so these blood draws were meant to measure my hormones and all the different levels of things and to see if there was any sort of supplementation we could do that could help us to achieve the goal of expanding our family. So those blood draws were very painful and I actually still have um, bruising in my arm from it because they took it from your arm. But those blood draws showed us a few weeks later that my pregnancy hormone levels were rising. And so we had to go back into the office for more ultrasounds. And there was some growth, but not enough growth, but it was very confusing. And even my wonderful OB didn't know what was going on because this man was incredibly knowledgeable, but it seemed so strange. I felt like, oh my gosh, we're finally getting a miracle. We're finally getting a miracle. I was so excited. Well, the first day that we found out that we were miscarrying this second baby, and then later on we found out that we weren't miscarrying, or maybe we were, no one knew, that had been the um, Marian feast day that's on December 8th, which I think is the Immaculate Conception. And then, because we were in Texas, Our Lady of Guadalupe was everywhere. And so I remember going to the church and praying and asking Our Lady of Guadalupe, the patroness of life, to please give me a miracle. Please give me a miracle, Mama. And I remember just crying in adoration. 
And sadly, there was nothing we could do because we were not given that gift of a miracle. That baby ended up being miscarried officially on Christmas Day of that year. And that was terrible. And it was gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching and painful because this was much bigger than the previous one. And, and losing a baby like that in such a traumatic way, it was just so, so difficult for me. It made me cling to Gabriella even more. It made me wonder, where are you, God? Why are you doing this to me? It made me have all of those questions of faith, all of those questions of hurt and pain that I wasn't sure yet how to unite my suffering with him and his suffering. And I don't wish a miscarriage on any person. I don't ever want anybody to lose a baby. But we named that baby Marianne. And I asked little Marianne to pray for me every single day. We ended up being able to bury Marianne, and we were also able to order a special stone to commemorate our babies that are in heaven. And so that stone is a memorial stone, and it sits outside my front door. And every summer, I plant flowers around it, and every summer, flowers bloom by it, and it's just a beautiful reminder of the fact that I might not hold those babies in my arms, but they're still mine. And I have saints in heaven that are praying for me and my family. After our miscarriage with Marianne, I continued doing the blood work to figure out what was happening. And we determined that my levels of progesterone and estrogen were all sorts of off. So there was actually a pretty easy fix for that. It meant that I had to give myself injections of the pregnancy hormone to help me to have more progesterone and less estrogen in my body so that as we were hoping to have another baby, the baby would be able to survive. And so I had to do that. I did that for several months. And then we found out that we were pregnant again. And we were so excited. Except by this time we realized that being in Texas was really far away from our family, and we decided that we were going to move back, back to Michigan, to be closer to family, to raise our family around our family. So they'd have a relationship with their grandparents because that was what we wanted, and their aunts, and to just be part of a community where we were ready to put down our roots, and we knew that we wanted our roots to be in Michigan. So we found out we were pregnant and we had a move lined up. So in April, when I was two months pregnant, I got on a plane with my then almost two-year-old daughter, Gabriella, and reversed course and flew back to Michigan. My husband and his father, again, drove the moving truck full of our belongings across the country. I still can't believe they did that twice. We were so, so blessed to find out later that summer that we were having another little girl. And of course, we named her Maria. My husband had always liked the name Lily, and it was only after we found out we were having a girl that I learned about St. Maria Goretti and the Lily that she showed in a dream to Alessandro, who was her murderer and the forgiveness she offered him. And I just found these signal graces popping up in these moments of hope that were just constant through this pregnancy. When we went to the hospital to have Maria, everything was smooth. It was easy. I went into labor naturally. My epidural worked. I took a nap while I was in labor. It was great. She was born at like 2.45 in the morning, but... Other than that, it went as well as we could have had it. And she was perfect. She slept well. She was easy-tempered. When we got home with her, we would actually put her in her little swing. And we would actually, she'd just fall asleep. And sometimes we'd forget she was there. She was just so happy in her swing and sleeping. Very different from our first experience with our oldest daughter, who had a lot more needs as an infant and did not like to sleep. 
which was very challenging. But Maria has just always been this little ray of sunshine who, she has her moments now as a four-year-old, and she always has had her moments because she's human, but she's always been this ray of hope, something that I just can't put my finger on what it is other than grace. She has just filled us with such joy and such love. She's so good. It's so good to be a mother to these very different children that God has given me. Well, there's more to my story if you can believe it. We moved into our house when Maria was just one month old. We like to move when our children are a month old, and I don't recommend that. But we did, and we've been here for almost five years now. And several years into living here back in Michigan, I realized that I was really unhappy. One of my children happens to have some higher, more challenging behavioral needs, and it exhausted me. But I also felt like I was called to not be a stay-at-home mom anymore. It was, it was very strange. But in addition to that, I became more active in my parish. So when we were newer to our parish, Maria was just a few months old, and I ended up meeting our pastor outside of the little fountain after a daily mass. And he was asking me, you know, where I was from, and he was asking me these different questions, and it somehow came up about those women's mini retreat nights that I had been to, those nights of praise and worship for women. And I said to him that, you know, I really missed it. I wish we could have that here. And he looked at me and he said, will you write something up for me? I remember, like, oh, okay, because I didn't think that I would ever be called to do anything. I didn't feel qualified. But he did, he said that to me. And I remember that earlier in my prayer time, earlier that month, I had heard in prayer this overwhelming sense of, write for me, write for me write for me. I thought to myself, okay, but like, what do you want me to write? And so when I was buckling my two children into the car, I just remember thinking, oh, that was it. And so I was able then to bring that evening of praise and worship, adoration for women to my parish. And it's just been such a blessing for the parish as a whole. And so I had gotten to know my pastor through that, and I'd also become part of this small group book club from getting to know our associate pastor, and there were just all these things that happened. So one evening, I was mentioning to my small group book club, I was just saying, I don't know, but I feel like I'm called to work outside the house, and I don't know what that is, and this is different than what I thought, but I'm so unhappy here, and something just has to change because, like, I shouldn't be so unhappy. And my friend said, well, there's a position opening at work, which happened to be at my parish. I interviewed for the job. I was qualified for the job, but my friend is now my boss. And I am so, so blessed to have that job. God just worked in this incredible way of bringing me into what I was supposed to do and allowing me to honor him through through my life and through my career and for giving me the opportunity to have a very balanced career where I get to be home several days and I get to go into the office several days and I get to do the things I love, which include teaching. I get to use the education that I spent so much time obtaining. And so these are such wonderful things and I just see how God has taken me inch by inch and he has just taken me by the hand and walked with me through all of these years and through all of these sufferings. And he's taken my prayers and he's heard them. He's just guided me and helped me to see how much he loves me. Well, I had the wonderful experience of being pregnant with my third daughter. I found out I was pregnant with her a month after I started working. And so we had known that we might like to expand our family, but the fact that it happened so quickly was pretty shocking, especially given that we'd had trouble after our first pregnancy. And so I was so blessed to work with this wonderful group of men and women who just 
loved me so well through that pregnancy. And when our third daughter was born, it was just an incredible gift because I felt so loved and so supported by everybody, just knowing they were praying for me, knowing that they loved me, knowing that I was doing work that mattered. It was just an incredible gift. And also, once my third daughter was born, both my in-laws and my parents were able to really help us with the older kids. And so I had so much help when my third daughter was born. My third daughter's name is Pascal Ruth, and she is just a joy. And we named her Pascal because it is literally translated to mean Easter. So when we talk about Paschal, we usually hear it in the context of Paschal Mystery, which of course usually refers to the Eucharist, but Paschal Mystery is the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's our faith. And so we named her this kind of unique name because of how important faith is to us, how important faith is to me. We are so blessed with our three children. We're so blessed with the help from my family, with the help from my in-laws and my parents, my sisters, my, my sister-in-law. We're just so blessed with all of the love that people have poured into us, especially after walking through some very difficult times. Sadly, the end of our difficult times is not a given point in time. We were doing really well, and then Patrick's beloved grandmother died when Pascal was just a few months old. That was very difficult because we, as a young family, weren't able to grieve because Patrick's grandmother was the grandmother figure for me, too, and Pat loved his granny so much. It's actually where Pascal's middle name of Ruth comes from. That was also her middle name, and so we were able to honor her in that way. And we always think of her when we call Pascal, Pascal Ruth. And it's very cute because now as a little two-year-old, Pascal says, I, Pascal Ruth. It's so sweet. But that was so, so sad to have that happen. However, Something even more challenging happened shortly before that. The day that Pascal was baptized was a Sunday, and it was beautiful. Oh, it was Saturday. It was beautiful. Our whole family was there, and even Patrick's granny was there. We got to have everybody all together. It was just a wonderful celebration and outpouring of grace. But my dad had been having some stomach pain, and he mentioned something to me. Over the past few years, I've gotten to know our pastor a little better, and he has become a family friend, and my middle daughter, Maria, actually adopted him as her godfather, which we just love. She sat there at that baptism reception, feeding him cake with her hands, and it was the messiest, cutest, funniest thing, and he just loved it. So thank you very much to Father Steve for that, but... I had gotten to know that Father Steve would pray over people. And so when my dad said he was having stomach pain and that he'd had some tests done, I said, Dad, have you ever been prayed over? He said, no, like, I don't want to bother anybody. But I asked Father, I asked, I asked our pastor to pray over my dad. And he did. Well, that Monday, we found out that my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer, it is the deadliest major cancer that you can be diagnosed with. Fewer than 5% of people live five years after surgery, and those numbers get even lower the longer out you go. So all of a sudden, my dad started doing this very intensive chemo and radiation regimen, trying to get to surgery to remove this tumor that was growing on his pancreas. And it was very difficult because all of a sudden I was back to work and now I'm managing my kids all together and there's so much grief in our family. We just couldn't cope with all the grief. It was very, very hard. It was so, so hard. On top of it, one of our children has some behavioral challenges and so we were really trying to work through that as well. And it was hard with the very young children and a career and also the the intense amount of 
emotion that comes with losing a beloved grandparent and also simultaneously having a very, very dire diagnosis with a beloved family member. It was such a difficult time. We prayed my dad to surgery and he had a surgery and they removed the tumor and things looked great and we had a great, great summer. And then this fall, we found out that the cancer was back. I don't know what my story will look like in the future, but I know that Our Lady of Guadalupe loves me and I know that Mary will not let me down. And I know that God will always lead me with grace and compassion to whatever his will is. I'm sharing these hard parts of my life with you because I'm real and this is really what I'm going through. But what I've walked through, the fire I've walked through, has just reminded me of that verse, like gold that is tested in fire. That's one of my favorite verses because it's life. We are tested in fire. We are tested in trial. And we are always, always shown love and mercy and kindness. That is who our God is. He is goodness. He is love. And even in the midst of terrible things that are happening, I know this to be true. Just like I know the Eucharist is true. Just like I know that Mary loves us and intercedes for us. I know these things in my very core, in the depths of my heart and soul. And I want to share them with you because your trials, your fires will not be the same as mine, but they might be similar. And your trials and your fire may hurt in different ways, but we should always have hope. Incidentally, when I chose my confirmation name, I changed it. I changed it from Bernadette, who is awesome, but I changed it to Hope. And that is a hallmark of who I want to be and what I want to be. I want to be a voice of hope. I want to be a voice of faith and friendship. And I want to assure you that God loves you.